Well, so uh, I'm sorry for you guys. Mike's at the campus retreat. You get to listen to me. I was uh, I was just fired up about uh, Ben's communion, uh, just because you know having a dream. I think it ties into with what I want to share about today. That God, God the loving Father. That's my title, the loving Father, has a dream for all of us. Um, it was a it was an interesting or challenging Saturday uh, for Jeanette and I. <clears throat> Yesterday we went uh, down to Boston. Uh, there was a memorial service for a, a brother there who we'd known for a long time. Um, I always thought of him as being uh, one of the young guys. You know, great name Tunde Gumbiati, um, a Nigerian brother. He. Uh, we first met Tunde when uh, he was uh, the uh, teen ministry worker with our kids. And so he came in right about as my son Andy uh, was leaving uh, teen ministry to go to campus, <coughs> but worked a lot with my, my two daughters. And so it was, uh, it was uh, good that they all, all my kids were able to come. So Stephanie went down with us. And Katie actually flew back from Los Angeles to, to be there for it. And, uh, and my son Andy, who lives uh, in Somerville near Boston, came over. Uh, and it was, it was good in the sense that they got to hear and share with a lot of their friends. And I was amazed. Uh, there was uh, standing room only. So the place holds about 500 people at the Arlington building there. And so there was, you know, 600 people, I don't know, a lot of people there. To really just share about the impact that this brother had on their lives. And he was a, 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 a joyful guy. I mean, it, it's funny, very high-strung. Thank you. He, uh, he loved the uh, Patriots, you know, more than I do, right, which is pretty phenomenal. I, I remember one time when Tunde and Jadalia, his wife, were at our house uh, for lunch and then to watch the Patriots. And, of course, you know, we had a Tebow, right, so you can actually... You know, be 10 or 15 minutes behind the live time of the game and miss commercials and other things. But, you know, Tunde was so into it that he could not stand to be 15 minutes behind. So politely, he would sneak in the, in the other room and check the scores on his phone just to make sure that, you know, he wasn't a second behind. But, uh, you know, the impact that he had, you know, he came down about four years ago with cancer uh, just at the time when his wife was about to deliver their first baby, their, their only daughter. And so he, uh, he was able to get out of, out of surgery, be there for the delivery, and, and, and have, you know, four years of fighting this cancer. But it really came back pretty heavily, you know, a few months ago. And, and um, he just turned 40 in March and, you know, passed about a week ago. I mean, it was amazing to see just the impact, how many people his lives, you know, had an impact on. And to think about, you know, God saw in advance what Tunde becoming a disciple was going to have an impact on, on my life, on my family, on hundreds of other people. He saw that in the future. He was looking forward to that. You know, we, um, we took Katie and, and she stayed with some friends there in Boston. She's going back, I think, tomorrow. But um, it was... Uh, there we went and saw a family uh, where the uh, the son is a good friend, you know, a good friend with uh, two days, about 40. He has five kids of his own. The parents live there, and the parents are great friends of ours, John and Kathy. Um, we met them, uh, as we reminisced, about 30 years ago when uh, we studied the Bible with them. And to think, you know, that studying the Bible with, with Kathy first and then with John uh, changed the life of not just their children, but of their grandchildren, right? And that God had a vision for my friend John. Um, you know, when 
when the time we were studying the Bible, they had separated. They had five kids. He, uh, uh, I'll let him at another time tell you his story, maybe. But uh, he had a lot of challenges. And, but because they studied the Bible, uh, became Christians, they were able to reunite, uh, become a family again, and go on to lead a godly family for, for 30 years. And it's, it's pretty exciting. And so just as I was driving home last night, I got thinking about how God changes the life and the course of one person's life. You know, how God looks ahead and he can see the joy, the impact, you know, what the life led for him is going to make a difference going forward. He sees that at the point when we don't see it at all. We don't have the vision that God has. We don't have the understanding of what it's going to mean uh, when we make that decision to repent. Whether it's to repent to become a Christian or when we're stuck in a sin right now and we just need to repent of it, God really sees what will happen if we come back. He has that future. He has that vision. And he wants us back. Look over in, in Luke chapter 15. I want to spend some time preaching out of Luke 15, or let's work through it. I think it's a great, um, it'll help us. Um, Starting at Luke 15 and verse 1. uh, Now the tax collectors and sinners uh, were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them uh, this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that, I tell you that in the same way, there will be much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, for the Pharisees, and um, I guess, you know, I'm not Jewish, you know, I'm not from the Middle East, I'm not from 2,000 years ago, so it's hard for me a little bit to get my head wrapped around what it was like, but, you know, to them, you know, what Jesus was asking them to do was just absolutely offensive. You know, he wanted them to associate with tax collectors, or he was associating with tax collectors and sinners. You know, they had a word, you know, that they called uh, those people. They called them the people of the land. You know, and the Pharisees, they, w- they wouldn't have anything to do with them. So, if you think about it, some of the rules they had, you know, if you let your daughter marry one of these non-believers, then it was like having her eaten by lions. You know, they would not entrust their money to them. You know, go to a bank, there's a people of the land there, sorry, not leaving my money with you. You know, they would take no testimony from them. You know, they would entrust no secrets to them. They wouldn't let them be appointed as a guardian over an orphan. They wouldn't let them be a custodian over just charitable monies, you know. You know, they wouldn't be, uh, you know, collecting money for the poor. Not going to do that. You know, they wouldn't go with them on a journey. They wouldn't let them come with a journey on them. They wouldn't be a guest at their house. They wouldn't let them uh, be a guest at their house. You know, they, they forbid having any business dealings with them, if at all possible. You know, you go out to get a burger. If there's one of the people of the land there, I'm going somewhere else if I can, if I'm not starving, right? You know, they avoided all possible contact. Now, so, you know, it would be shocking that Jesus was having contact with these kinds of people. You know, 
You know, they, they really didn't even believe in this idea that there would be joy in heaven over a sinner repenting. They thought that the joy in heaven was going to be about a sinner being condemned, about being punished, you know. You know, they looked forward to God destroying the unrighteous. And so that's a big setup, right? So Jesus says, I'm going to, I have a parable to teach you. He actually had three parables to teach him, right? And he had a lot to say, but, you know, he started off, he, he talks about the shepherd there. He's going out, right? You know, being a shepherd wasn't, you know, glamorous. You know, it was a rough area. You know, it was a couple miles wide on a plateau where they were. There was lots of cliffs, lots of desert. And oftentimes, you know, the shepherd had to go track the sheep down. You know, so they had to go find them. And, uh, you know, they, it was risky to do that. You know, and even the way they kept their sheep, you know, it, it was a communal flock, right? So you might have a couple shepherds watching over the sheep. Comes time to bring them home at night. Oh, no, my sheep aren't there. So the, uh, the rest of my buddies, the other shepherds, they take the flock in. I have to go track down the sheep that's gone lost. And so I'm searching for them, you know, and by the time the shepherds have all got into town, they, uh, oops, sorry, by the time the shepherds all get into town, uh, the whole town knows that, you know, Pete's missing. Pete's out looking for, you know, one of those lost sheep. And so they're sort of watching, you know, you know, what else is there to do? No TV, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know if they played soccer, but uh, at that time of the day, maybe they're watching for the shepherd to return, you know, <clears throat> you know, because it was important. Like if, if the sheep was dead, they actually made him bring the fleece back to show how it died. They wanted to know this was the community sheep. You know, this is part of, you know, our livelihood, our food and so on. Right. And so uh, as the man came back with the sheep on his shoulders, under his arm, uh, or maybe a bigger one dragging it along, I don't know, but uh, it, uh, there was a shout of joy and a thanksgiving. You know, woo! The sheep is back, right? And I don't know if you thought about that, but Jesus is drawing a picture there uh, of how God feels. You know, about how God is like. You know, God is glad when a lost sinner is found in the same way that a shepherd uh, is excited when the lost sheep is brought home, as the town is excited when the lost sheep is brought home. God knows the joy of finding something that's been lost. You ever lost anything? You know, worse is to lose a kid. You know, that's bad. I've done that. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit scary. You know, it's bad to lose money, uh, especially when you need to pay something and you don't have any money in your wallet. You know, it's, it's tough that way. We, we know that slight joy of finding something that's lost. You know, as I've shared before, I'm on my third wedding ring. I did not find any of the other two, um, and I did not get to have that joy of finding them. So um, I, I, I think I know what it would feel like. But it's, uh, it's, it, I haven't experienced that, um, that great joy, unfortunately. You know, but it's an amazing truth. God is, God is actually kinder than we are. You know, the Jews, and maybe, maybe my heart sometimes, I would, would tend to write off a sinner, write off the tax collector as being unworthy of salvation. You know, only deserving destruction. You know, and maybe, maybe I'm not that way to begin with, but after a while I'm going like, no, no, this person is just pure evil. They are not, they're not coming around ever. I'm going to go, I'm going to leave them and go find somebody else to deal with. I don't believe that they could become a Christian. I don't believe that they could repent of their sins. I don't believe that they'll ever get over this thing. Maybe it's only me, but maybe you felt that way too. You know, God doesn't. God doesn't feel that way. 
you know, what point do we give up on, on others of repenting of sin? You know, what point do we even give up on ourselves? You know, I, I just can't, I can't get over this. I can't repent of this. I can't make it, right? You know, it's great that God loves people that never stray away. He does say that, right? He does love the 99 sheep. But, you know, the exciting thing is that his heart is full of joy when the 1%, when the one sinner returns. Let's keep on reading here in, in, uh, in Luke 15. It says, or suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hmm. <clears throat> coins. So this coin... Is a, is a silver drachma. It's um, it's worth uh, about a day's wages. <clears throat> so think for a minute. For you, what's a day's wages? You know, take your annual salary, divide it by 365. <clears throat> you know, need a calculator. You know, <laughs> yeah, good day, bad day, <clears throat> average day, or just think what you need to buy this week. You know, we need to buy groceries, and need to pay electric and the propane, <clears throat> so we can have heat. And we have to pay and so on, right? So think about that. Just think about, you know, break it up. You know, what do I need to make in a day? That, that, that's what this coin was worth. And, you know, it's, it, you know, in a peasant's house, you know, it's easy to lose a coin. You know, it's easy to lose a coin in my house, right? Oh, it's easy to lose a coin right here, you know. You know, there it goes, right? But, you know, their houses were dirt. They were dark. They might have one small window. Uh, they, they typically had, you know, reeds or something matted down. So you can easily imagine that a coin goes lost in it. You know, it's, um, and this was, you know, all the money it would take to, for the day, right, to pay for food. So if you lose that money, you know, there's no food to eat for the day. So, oops, I lost dinner. You know, you imagine that, you know, in the brother's household. Oh, sorry, I, Chris, I threw out your food for the day. Oh, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> you know, maybe there's even another explanation here. You know, it, it was their custom for women to actually have a, a headdress when they were married of ten coins. And so they collected, not like a dowry, but they collected ten coins. It took them a long time to scrape it together. And they made, you know, a headdress, something they wore on their head that contained the ten coins. And that, that really was like a symbol of being married. It's like a wedding ring. You know, again, there's my bad example. I, you know, I, Jeanette's never lost a wedding ring, but as, uh, she treats it more like she should probably than I have. But, uh, but you know, can you imagine losing, you know, you, now you have nine coins in your headdress, right? And, you know, first, where are you going to get the coin to replace it? You're not, you know, you can't really afford that. But, you know, it, it, can you imagine a woman looking for her lost wedding ring? You know, can you imagine a woman looking for a lost engagement ring? Can you imagine if Nicole lost her engagement ring? You know, no, 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 no. That's not happening, right? Uh, she would be looking frantically to find it. Because it would be really hard to explain to Yovani, like, where's your, where's your engagement ring? What are you talking about? You know, why are you holding your hand like that? You know, why are you covering it up? So imagine how furiously, and this is the story Jesus is painting, right? How furiously she's looking for that coin. How furiously she's looking for that wedding headdress. You know, that wedding equivalent of a wedding band, a wedding ring, engagement ring rather, whatever. You know, she's furiously looking for it. She's not going to stop. You know, Jeanette said, well, the last place you look is where it is, right? You know, once you find it, you stop looking. 
So that really defines, you know, about this. And she wouldn't have stopped until she found it and going after it, going after it. You know, she was either going to lose her wedding, uh, wedding ring or she was going to lose the day's food. You know, Jesus says, that's how God feels. God, God feels that way about you. You know, the joy of God, all the angels, when one sinner comes home, is like that. When the home finds the coin that is going to pay for the meals for this day, or when the woman finds her lost, most precious possession and gets it back. You know, the Pharisees, they didn't believe that God was like that. You know, basically it says that, uh, you know, Jewish scholars believe that maybe if there's one thing that Jesus actually taught that was radically different is that God actually searches for people. You know, they felt like, okay, well, fine, you know, maybe if you came back to God with, you know, atonement, you, you abased yourself, you know, you, uh, you really showed you were really sorry, then maybe there was a chance that you could be forgiven. But, you know, they didn't imagine that God would actually go out and actively search for somebody and try and find them. You know, you know we have to believe that that's the way God is because, you know, when God became a man uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, remember in Luke 19 it says, Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. So that's how Jesus was. Jesus was actively looking for the sinner that wasn't looking for him. And I think we believe that when we think about, let's, let's reach out to people that don't know God, that don't love God. Let's go after that. But do we really think about it on ourselves? You know, God, God's thinking, you know, man, you're just, you, does God say man? I guess he does, right? <laughs> oh, man. You know, he thinks about me, you know, when I'm struggling, you know, I, I know I need to repent of this. Oh, I know this is bad. Or maybe when I, uh, he thinks, you know, I really want, I want him back. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go do everything I can to try and bring, you know, Peter back, you know, to me. That's, that's how God feels. That's how he uh, wants to save what is lost. Let's, let's keep going. Let's look now, I think, to the third part of this, of this uh, parable that Jesus is teaching in Luke 15, 11. Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, So they began to celebrate. 
Now, this is another, for a Jewish Pharisee, this is another very difficult thing to understand, a very difficult situation. You know, it, it wasn't uncommon, it wasn't unusual for the, the father to divvy up stuff before he died. It was sort of like, you think about it, a prepping for retirement. You know, I'll get things organized so my sons can work, you know, their parts of my estate. It all just, you know, sort of be, you know, the patriarch or whatever. You know, that happened from time to time. But, you know, for the son to say, you know, hey, Dad, just give me everything that I, I'm, that's due me uh, so I can have it now. Well, it was the equivalent of saying, you know, Dad, I just wish you were dead so that I could get your inheritance. Can you just give me your inheritance now? You know, think about how that would go over with your parents. You know, if they just said, hey, Dad, can I just have, you know, my part of the inheritance now? It wouldn't, probably wouldn't go over so good, right? At least, it, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider doing that to my father. And if my kids did it to me, it might be a little rough, you know. But, um, and, and it wasn't like the father actually had a lot of choice about how assets got divided. It was, it was governed in the law. It's talked about in Deuteronomy 21. But basically, the older son gets a double portion. And so, in this scenario, with two kids, two boys, the, uh, the uh, younger son gets a third of everything the father had. <clears throat> so, basically, the father now divides it up, gives it to him, and, and it says, not very long later, he heads out. He heads away. He gets away from the father. <clears throat> He's trying to get, you know... Out of that influence. In fact, he's so far away, he must be in some Gentile area, right? Because they're raising pigs. And the only job that he can get is something that the law says, you know, the Jewish law says it is unclean. You know, feeding swine. You know, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 talk about that that's an unclean thing. You know, it'd be like the last job that you want to get as a young Jewish man is to have a job feeding the swine. You know, so he's moving away from God from the Father, rather. He's moving toward the Gentiles. He's getting closer to them. You know, the farther, the farther he gets away from the Father, the deeper he sinks into sin. Does that feel familiar? The farther you get away from God, the easier it is to just say, oh, you know, I'm just feeding swine. What else could I do? Um, you know, and literally, you know, Jesus talks about him here. At this point, in the NIV, it says he comes to his senses. You know, in other translations, it says he comes to himself. He comes to his right mind. He gets, he comes back what he was supposed to be. You ever had that in the midst of just being stuck in the mud, spiritually, emotionally? You, you have a, you come to your right mind. You go, what am I doing here? You know, why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, perfectly, it's not a fleeting thought. It's like it's time to get out of this. You know. He realized he wasn't being he wasn't being himself. You know, I think that's what God's waiting for. God's waiting for us to decide, hey, you know what? I I am not being myself. I want to be what God knows I am. I want to be I want to come back to being a, a son of God. You know, I want to come back to where I know that I need the Father. You know, so the son goes, you know what? I know I'll just be a hired man. You know, there was a hierarchy of slaves, even, believe it or not. You know, so the indentured slaves, they were part of the family. You know, so they were, you know, if they were Gentile, it was actually your own forever. If you were Jewish, you were owned for seven years and then released back. So you had some servants that had a place in the home. Then you had folks who were just hired hands. You know, like you need the leaves raked, you go hire somebody. You know, these days we do it off a front porch forum, maybe. Um, but there was a way. These are just folks that came in. So this had... And even as a servant had absolutely no security, he says, I'll take that. 
I'll be, you know, I'll be a hired, I'll be the hired man. You know, I'll be willing to be the lowest of other servants just to be near my father. And so the son had this whole speech figured out. You know, he gets to it in verse 29. He starts to deliver it to the father. Here, dad, here's what I think will work great. I'll just be, I'll be the lowest of the servants. You know, if you, if I, if I, God, if I just repent of this, I don't need anything. Just treat me like, like the bottom, right? And he has it all figured out. And, and the father who's been watching for him. You know, remember what the Jew, what the Pharisees felt about sin. They felt that God would never be watching for someone. God would be ready to destroy them. But the father's there. He puts on his best robe. He puts a ring on his finger, making it the sign of being a son again. He puts sandals on his feet. You know, slaves didn't get shoes. He got he got sandals, right? But more than that, he killed the fatted calf. He wanted to have a party to rejoice about the son that was lost and is back. <clears throat> you know, God who created heaven and the earth, you know, he, he knows the count of every strand of hair on your head. You know, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, right? <clears throat> whether it's gray or whether it's not, right? Um, he knows that. God, God knows that. God is going to judge the living and the dead. But this is how God feels when one sinner repents. Watching for you, waiting eagerly for you to return. You know, he doesn't desire a sacrifice from you. He's not looking for a payment for what you did wrong. You ever ever felt like that? I did something wrong, I need to make up for it. I'll do ten good things to make up for one bad thing. You know, I know I've done it, you might have done it. You know, does, he doesn't make you a lesser son or servant because of your sin. Uh, you're less than, than you ought to be. I'm not going to return you in full. You know, he returns you back to the full sonship uh, when you come back to yourself and decide to return to the Father. You know, you know, you talk about it. You know, when they said it's the, uh, you know, the the parable of the prodigal son. You know, it's, it's really not. This parable is not really even about the son. The parable is about the loving father. Yeah. About the father's will. You know, even, you know, prodigal, in case you didn't know, it means wasteful. You know, it's a, it's a Latin word. It means just to be wasteful. And, and the irony is that Jesus got accused of being wasteful, right? You know, oh, you know you're using this the perfume that uh, could be sold and be used to help the poor. It's being used, you know, to uh, put on, your, on you, right? Jesus was considered wasteful. Isn't it wasteful? Wait, I gave, you took, already took a third of all my possessions, and now you're coming back? I want the third back first. No, that's not how God thinks. You know, you know Lincoln was asked, you know, what was he going to do after the end of the Civil War? Was he going to punish the states that left the Union? And, uh, and expecting that he would be vengeful, hateful, uh, bring retaliation against them. And all he said is, you know what? I think we should treat them the way as if they'd never left. You know? And I know it's, uh, it's easy to feel like in that political scenario that they may have deserved punishment. But, you know, for me it's easy to think about I deserve punishment. You know, I, when I stand against God, when I do it intentionally, uh, I deserve to be punished. But God says, no, I just want you to come back. You know, it's not even the end of the story. You know, it goes on, it says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, the older brother, you know, maybe he represents the Pharisees, you know, and the father comes out to him, pleased with him. You know, we had to do this. You know, it, uh, his attitude just shows that, that he, the way he thought about his years of obedience to the father was really just duty. You know, I've just got to do this. I've got to tough it out. You know, he wasn't thinking about, you know, God, I'll do anything for you. Uh, I, you know, his attitude, he didn't have any sympathy. You know, he thinks about, when he talks about the prodigal uh, son, he doesn't say, my brother. He just says, God, that's your son. That's your problem. You know, that's, you ever, you know, when your kids start talking about each other like that, that's not a good day. Right, uh, you know, if they don't see each other as brothers and sisters, they, you know, just—I don't know—I don't remember my kids actually ever saying that, but uh, it would have been a rough day, right? You know, he just didn't have. You know, he even thought he thought about what his brother was doing. He said, you know, it didn't get wasn't mentioned anywhere else that he, he'd been with prostitutes, but you know, the brother said, well, you know, he must have been doing that. You know, he just—he uh, wasn't really having anything of what God was having. Think about it. Just the opposite. <clears throat> that, you know, in this scenario, you know, you have the, maybe the Pharisee thinking about the lost son <clears throat> saying, you know, um, I don't care. He hasn't done what he was supposed to do. Therefore, he shouldn't be forgiven. You know, <clears throat> isn't it ironic that the older son is the one that's actually lost? <clears throat> you know, I mean, when you think about it, sometimes when, it's, when you want to repent... It can be more concerning about what is somebody else going to think? You know, if I come and confess this, if I repent of this, you know, it says God is there waiting, excited, fired up. No matter what the sin is, he wants you to come back. He wants you to be one with him. And sometimes I as a brother can go, well, that was awful. You know, you sure you really repented of that? Hmm. I don't want to be that brother. So, you know, just in, in sort of pulling this all together, think about, you know, Jesus answered this response, you know, with three parables. You know, he wanted all men to be saved. You know, he wanted the Jews to be saved. He wanted the Gentiles to be saved. You know, he wanted sinners uh, who were like the lost sheep and got separated from the flock. You know, he wanted those people back. You know, he wanted those who maybe just got misplaced, fell through the cracks. He wanted those those people back. But, you know, I think even more stunning to me is that he wanted the sinners who deliberately left the Father back to. You know, he was actively seeking his lost children. He was going to look for them. You know, he patiently was waiting for them, for me, to return to my senses, to come back to the Father. You know, when, uh, when they repented, he made it like they'd never left. He rejoiced. And he threw a party. It wasn't like, oh, your budget is way down. You spent all my money. No, I'm giving you the best of the best. And, you know, you think about that. You know, we could even, you know, you know, we could even have some funny attitudes sometimes. You know, that maybe we get upset about with the, the older sons. 
You know, people that are more legalistic than us, that are not as graceful as us. You know, sometimes we have to even think about that. I need to be just as forgiving, just as loving. The way God did, God went out and pleaded with them, wanted them to be back too, wanted the older brother to be back. You know, it's... um, you know, in the first century, it was a big deal, right? Because there was, you know, the, uh, the, the Gentiles, you know, that were coming into the church. You remember, if you've read in the book of Acts, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, fighting over that. You know, they thought that maybe they should come back groveling to be part of the church. Or, you know, or even worse, maybe, that they should be circumcised, right, to be part of the church. And no, no, that wasn't the expectation. You know, you know, we as the body, we as disciples of Jesus need to welcome everybody. You know, you know, nobody who is repentant, willing to change should be excluded. You know, there never needs to be a level. We say, well, you know, in order to be part of us, you have to be this or this repentant. You just need to be someone who is seeking the Father. See, God is able to look ahead. As you remember how I started sharing about my friend Tunde and my friend John, you know, there was a point in those men's lives, like my own, that nobody saw the good. You know, nobody looked ahead in Tunde's life and knew that, you know, he would come in a short, you know, number of years, around 20 years as a disciple of Jesus, to impact hundreds of people to allow people to, to weep for him because of the impact that, that he had made on their lives because he followed Jesus. The impact that Jesus was having on his life. You know, realizing that uh, when God is able to look at someone, he looks ahead. He sees the joy that God will have when his son or daughter is restored to him. God has amazing grace. God is a loving father. Um, let's pray to close out. God, thank you just uh, for the message of Luke 15, Father, that you love us in a way that we just don't fully understand, that you forgive us while we're unforgivable, and that you look ahead, that when we do come to our senses, when we do repent, that you want us back to be that son or daughter that you've longed for, Father. It is so awesome to be able to have that relationship with you. Father, I pray as we just think about it and reflect on your love, on the loving Father, that we would really be that way for each other, that we would love the way you love, that we'd be, we'd be generous in how we uh, give out forgiveness, how we look as our brothers and sisters repent. Well, I pray we'd even consider that as we repent, Father, that you would help us just really to uh, know that you're rejoicing in heaven, Father, when we uh, just have that heart to return to you. Father, thank you right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.